1: a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before when he knows he's going to be thrown into a den of lions he goes home and he bows and he gives thanks wow there's one more that we learn from the story you understand the power available to us as followers of Jesus Christ simply through prayer and praise and worship.
0: Do you feel like you've been thrown into a lion's den? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us through the example of Daniel's life, that something powerful happens when we encounter trials with prayer and worship. When Daniel knew that he'd be thrown into the lion's den, he went to the Lord with prayer and thanksgiving. Sometimes it can be hard to praise when you feel like you're in the middle of the storm. However, if you'll continue to offer your praise and worship up to God, you'll see his power unfold. Now here's Pastor Danny in Acts chapter 16 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: Acts chapter 16, we left off verse one. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And you get the impression the father is not only a Greek, but he's not a believer in Jesus. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, you'll be thankful we're not spending a lot of time here, but Timothy, you already see his commitment to the Lord and his willingness as a young man to be circumcised. Ouch. And um, Paul writes to the Galatian churches in chapter two, and another team member named Titus doesn't get circumcised. Well, why does he not get circumcised and Timothy does get circumcised? One circumcised to become all things to all men and not hinder their ministry. That's Timothy. Titus is not circumcised because people had come into the church and said, unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And so Paul said to Titus, basically, don't, don't submit to this. And Titus was certainly happy about that, not submitting to that. To keep the truth and the purity of the gospel message. So everybody, I hope, understands that. And that's all the time we need to spend on that verse. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That was last week, chapter 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, let me fill you in. It's a slow start, but you'll like the ending. So stay awake. Verse six, Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. We aren't told any details of how the Holy Spirit prevented them, but it is a closed door. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. There's a second closed door. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So closed door, second closed door, vision of a man of Macedonia, and they feel like, well, that's the way we should go, and that's the way they go. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer, and I paused there for a minute. It was Jewish custom that if you're in a Gentile area, there have to be 10 male heads of household in order for somebody to build a synagogue. There's no synagogue here. If there's no synagogue, what you would do, go by a river or by the sea, and you would recite the Shema, that's Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God is one. You would read from the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. You would often pray together, and if somebody could carry a tune in a bucket, they'd lead you maybe in some worship. So here they are by the river. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. That tells us something. There are no men. No wonder God gave Paul the vision of a man of Macedonia, come over and help us, because there's a real need, especially among the men. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. The purple cloth that she dealt with, the dye used to make the purple cloth, was very expensive. She's probably a well-to-do businesswoman. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, it doesn't say it, but you get the impression she's a single mother. I don't know that, but she gets saved. Where's the man in the vision? Hold on. At that moment, the spirit left her. I like what one commentator said, and I'll read. She was a clairvoyant owned by spiritual pimps who sold her metaphysical powers. And what she shouted day after day was true, but she evidently said it in a mocking way. And finally, Paul turns and the Lord delivers her of the demonic possession. So Lydia gets saved, her family gets saved, this fortune teller is delivered from demonic possession, but where's the man in the vision? Verse 19. When our owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped And beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Jewish law had a limit to the number of blows you could give to someone. It was 40 lashes minus one. They did the 40 lashes minus one just in case somebody miscounted and went over the 40. And then you broke the law. But Roman law had no such limit. They could beat you as hard and as long as they liked. Now, leave the text just for another moment, or at least listen. Second Corinthians, Paul mentions some of the things he suffered in his ministry and because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11, the middle of verse 23. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stone. Then he says he was shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the sea. This guy's got scars all over his body. You can be sure they were severely beaten. And then the jailer to make sure they don't escape because he's been given strict orders. Puts them in the most secure part of the jail, the inner part. Fastens their feet in the stocks. And no doubt they have chains on their hands, wrists too. They are beaten severely. And in that situation, look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners We're listening to them. They are singing and praying so loud that at midnight, nobody else in the jail is asleep. What were those prayers like? I'm going to give it a good biblical shot. First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul, the apostle writes verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. He will write in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me make a suggestion based on Paul's writing. The prayers went something like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of suffering for your great name. That's what the apostles said when they were first. Beaten. They left the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy. It might have also gone something like this Oh, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for your soon coming, and thank you that this suffering is only temporary. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And they're singing, I have no doubt, was joyous. And the prisoners are listening, and it just gets better. As they're listening to Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God, verse 26 suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He's about to kill himself. Why? Because if the prisoners escape, he will be executed. For his failure in letting them escape. He drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28 But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. Paul, Silas, and all the other prisoners who now are freed of their chains and the prison doors are open and nobody escapes. And there can only be one conclusion, there can only be one reason. As they listen to Paul and Silas praying, and they listen to them singing and worshiping the Lord, they make a connection, no doubt about it, between the God that they're serving and worshiping, and this God who's now is shaking the foundations of the prison. Miraculously, doors fly open, chains fall off, and they are in such awe, (laughs) not of Paul and Silas, but of their God, that nobody escapes. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked. Here's what he asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. You talk about a dramatic conversion. Here's a guy, he's just doing his job. He's the jailer. And he goes from just doing his job to coming to the end of his rope. About to take his own life. And thank God he didn't. Because something far worse than death would await him on the other side. And now he hears the gospel. And he and his whole family trust in Jesus Christ and are saved. I just love the Bible. And I love the way this story ends. (laughs) Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Go get them, Paul. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And for good reason. Because beating and throwing into prison, a Roman citizen without just cause can get you into real trouble. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city pretty please pretty please will you leave after paul and silas came out of the prison they went to lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and then they left well that's it have a good day (laughs) there's a lot here it's a great true story and i'll tell you the first thing don't be discouraged by closed doors whatever closed door it is they broke up with you i mean you cry oh i'm never gonna be happy yes you will you'll be happier Revelation, what he, God, opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I can't believe I've been here 32 years. And boy, have I seen some closed doors. And I haven't always understood. Been perplexed at times, sometimes discouraged. Years ago meeting at Shorecrest Prep School in the early days of our our ministry and small fellowship and yeah, we were growing a bit and we needed facilities and so we began to look and I was convinced I was convinced that the facility God had for us was the old S and H Green Stamps building. It's now I think a Walgreens, Ninth Avenue and fifty fourth Avenue North. Right around the corner from Shorecrest where we used to meet. I was convinced God's gonna give us that building. We'd be able to buy it. Didn't happen. We later signed a lease for a property on 4th Street North near Gandhi Boulevard. Me and another board member went in an evening and met with the owner at his office at the building, signed the lease. He went home that night and took his own life. That door was slammed. A while later we made an offer for a building in the vicinity of Knight Street and Gandhi Boulevard, an insurance company owned it, they accepted an offer I think it was over $100,000 less than what we offered. Does that make sense? Then we had two signed contracts for the auction building up here, and the land next to it, we needed the land next to it for parking, all right? So we had two signed contracts, and one of them didn't work out, and God closed that door. Bob Corey went over there and taped out everything that it was going to be. After a Sunday service, we took the whole congregation over there. We're all excited. Never happened. Then there's the warehouse days. That makes no logical sense that in that geographic location in the warehouse, that's where we began to, over time, grow even more. We owned that building outright eventually, and yet we were still growing. We needed more space, and so a friend of mine on the board, who was in real estate, I negotiated a lease across the street in the mainlands. It was great because we took over the old Winn-Dixie. We continued to grow. We took over the Eckerd space. Then we took over the hair salon, and then we took over... The Bridge Club. And then we began to think, we're spending all this money on a monthly lease. It would be better to buy the property, and that would be better to spend the Lord's money that way, and we could even lease out some of the other property and, and make money, you know, and it, we thought that was a good thing to do. So we went to the family that owned it, German family, and uh, we said, would you be willing to sell? They said yes. We agreed verbally on a, a price, $3.4 million. That was a little bit of a stretch for us, that price, but we thought, well, we, better than continuing to lease. And then after we got the verbal agreement, they came back and they, they began to say, Oh, it's been in the family so long and we just decided we're not we're not ready to to let go of it. And I'm like, Go cry in your beer in Germany, not here, you know. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And then people began to come up to me, you know, in the congregation after service, before service, and they and, and they'd say they'd look over at Walmart and they'd say, You're gonna need Walmart soon, and I'd say, You're I'd think inside, you're a comedian. You're really funny. And then Walmart Built a super Walmart quarter mile down the road, and this building was empty. And we met with the board, and the same real estate guy got in touch with the Walmart authorities. And we agreed as a board on what we felt like we could offer, and it was less than what across the street because we felt like that was a stretch. So we came to a figure of two point four million. Not even thinking, honestly, none of us even thought that it was the reverse of what Walmart was asking. That we're asking four point two million for this property, and we offer them two point four. <laughs> And the guy for Walmart told our real estate representative, said, look, the guys that meet in Chicago in a few weeks uh, that are in charge of selling off the Walmart properties because they're building all these super ones, you know, and they've got empty property, they won't even consider that offer. And we basically said, we're not trying to insult anybody. That's just what we feel we can offer. And we didn't negotiate. We made a one-time offer, and that was it. And here we are. Some people call it Soul Mart now. Don't miss the point. Those closed doors, I did not understand. Those closed doors, I was perplexed many times. I was discouraged. I was like, I knew that was the building. That was the place. During this time, I'm out in Costa Mesa, California, and I'm at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck. And I go up afterwards and he comes up to me and he says, did you get that facility? And I said, no, it fell through. It fell through. And I see him like it was yesterday. He looked at me and he beamed, you know, and his head glowed. And he said, God always has something a little better. <laughs> and then he walked away. God always has something a little better. I'll tell you the second thing in the story. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite Old Testament stories, and there are a lot of them, but Daniel and the lion's den. I won't read the whole story. Most of us probably know something about Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel has been given a position in the government of Babylon, a high up position. And those that work around him don't like him because of his position. They also don't like him because he's a Jew. And they plot to get rid of him. But it says in the story, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, they said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they go to King Darius and they say, King, we think it'd be a good idea that you put into law anybody who prays to any God or any other human being for the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, be thrown into a den of lions. Darius must have flexed his chest. He said, sounds like a great idea. Go ahead. Let's make it. Make the law. He makes the law. And then these guys came back to him and said, hey, you know, uh, there's one guy in your kingdom that works for you. He pays no attention to your law. Daniel. The king likes Daniel. He's distressed because he knows he's got to follow the law. And so he throws Daniel into the den of lions. Daniel did not know God would rescue him. Verse 10 of the chapter in the story says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. When he knows he's going to be thrown into a den of lions, he goes home and he bows and he gives thanks. Wow. There's one more that we learn from the story. You understand the power available to us as followers of Jesus Christ simply through prayer and praise and worship. Ephesians 1 says the power available to us is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In Acts chapter 4, when the apostles are first threatened by the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, they went back, gathered together, and prayed. It says they raised their voices together and they pray. They quote some scripture, and then they call out to God. And it says the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they spoke the word boldly. Now, I've never been in a situation in a prayer meeting where the ground or the foundation of the building has shaken. I actually prefer it not, but you never know. One last story, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is king of Israel judah to be technical the chapter opens up and says after this the moabites the ammonites with some of the moonites came to wage war against jehoshaphat it's a vast army a vast alliance of enemies verse 5 jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of judah and jerusalem at the temple of the lord in front of the new courtyard and he said and he begins to pray and then spirit they're praying with him the end of the prayer verse 12 He says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then you know what he does? He gets the worship team together and the singers. And it tells us, in verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I mean, a vast army's coming against them and they're singing and they're praying and they're giving thanks.
0: Jesus commissioned his followers in Acts 1 verse 8 by telling them that when they received the Holy Spirit, they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This commission extends to us right here, right now. Our faith isn't meant to be kept a secret. We need to share it with everyone, everywhere. We hope today's message on the living word has been an encouragement to you and even inspired you to tell someone you know about the Savior that you have. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church and click on the sermons tab. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there to get updated content each time we post it. We love connecting with our listeners, so also stop by our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Join in the conversation and we'll add some positive encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time is up with you for the day, We'd like to ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you pray for us each time you tune in to the Living Word? Pray that we keep listening to God and following His plan for our program. Please pray, too, for all who will be listening next time, that their ears and hearts would be open to the truth and love of their Savior. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Thanks so much for being part of our time here today. Join Pastor Danny next time. For more from the Book of Acts, right here on The Living Word.